Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor. Don't like your odds? Enjoy daily bet boosts on your favourite sports and make your best bet now at betvictor.com. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away, specifically the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hi, everyone. What's up? Chelsea fans, I hope you're all feeling good. This is Xavier Mbuyamba. And you're listening to the Blue Day Podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back, my friends, to the podcast that will never end. This is the Blue Day podcast, and for Chelsea fans everywhere, every day is a blue day, and we are going back to Wembley this season. Yes, we are. I am your host, the creator, the man with a face for podcasting, Keith Lawrence, and as you can hear, I'm in a great mood. Joining me today for this week's episode is a man who bleeds blue. He's Chelsea through and through. Returning to the Blue Day podcast, it's Steve Wicks. Steve, welcome back. Hello, Keith. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. Happy days. After after yesterday afternoon, waking up to blue skies, it was fantastic. <laughs> it was meant to be. It has, it has been a great weekend at the moment, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's been brilliant, you know. I, I'm sure a lot of Chelsea fans would have um, been a bit sort of, uh, what's the word, not scared, but a little bit apprehensive about yesterday. But um, the boys were absolutely superb. And to be fair well, to the coach, um, his tactics were spot on. Well, let's 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 crack on with it. What, what we're going to do for this episode, folks, we're going to talk about the Chelsea result yesterday, the triumphant, I love that word, Steve, triumphant victory against Manchester City, who people were labelling as the best side in Europe. They were going for the quadruple. We screwed all that up from, we're in the FA Cup final once again. Hopefully this year will be different to last year. Of course, we lost to Arsenal, but we won't mention that. Steve, before we discuss about the game itself, what did you make of the team selection? Because there was a lot of people I saw on social media were very apprehensive about Thomas Tuchel's approach because of the changes he made to the squad. But just to start off with, Steve, what did you make of the team selection before kickoff? Well, I think he, he wanted to make a secure. He wanted to make, you know, because Man City passed through the lines very well and he wanted to make us a very solid uh, unit. Um, yeah, I, I thought, as I said to you before, I thought his team selection and his tactics were absolutely spot on. And um, I think if we'd have beat Man City 1-0 and they'd hit the post five times or they put us under pressure, but there wasn't many times in that game I felt as a Chelsea fan that we were under pressure. And I think uh, Kante, I thought, was absolutely superb. Oh, yes, he led yes. by example. He led by example. And the great thing, I thought, was that every single Chelsea player put a shift, a shift in. They, they worked their socks off. Um, and it was, it was a, it was a well-deserved uh, win over a team that people are hailing, not only the best team in, in, in the UK, but the best team in the world. Hmm. They're proud of themselves. Yes, I mean, as, as you say, team collective. I mean, people are talking about the away game against Atletico Madrid being an all-round team performance. I thought, based on yesterday's how we played, I thought it was much better because the pressure was on us quite a bit yesterday, whereas against Atletico Madrid, I think people were expecting 
Madrid to beat us. Whereas yesterday, I think looking at how we have been the, you know, the last few games, people, you know, again, I want to get your thoughts on this, Steve. People have started labeling us as boring. You know, how Chelsea have performed and how Thomas Tuchel has his tactics. People have labelled us boring, which I find staggering considering our clean sheet record. Steve, I just wanted to sort of go with this uh, photo that somebody sent me these, this morning. And this is great, fantastic stat. Thomas Tuchel's been in charge of Chelsea for 81 days and already he's beaten Guardiola, Klopp, Simeone, Mourinho and Ancelotti. His team has not conceded a single goal against any of them. What a stat that, that is. That's that quite impressive. That's quite <laughs> impressive. But, but I'll tell you what, Keith, which, which was very apparent yesterday, is our goalkeeper made two saves the whole game. Hmm. And they were very ordinary saves. Um, you know, and um, I think that says it all. There was we a lot of question marks play. about the inclusion of Kepa because people are saying he should never play for the club again. Mendy's our number one, but we've seen it before. Cup games, Tuchel has played with Kepa. So I wasn't, that wasn't a big surprise for me, but the big surprise, I was surprised with how well he performed. And he looked, he looked, obviously he looked different as you could see on the telly, but as a goalkeeper of stature wise, he looked different and he looked like he had something to prove. Yeah, well he's a young he's a, a young lad in terms of goalkeeping terms. Yes. Chelsea have invested an awful lot of money in him. And do you know something what makes a great coach in my opinion is that when not only physically do they make them a better player, but when they mentally make them stronger. And it seemed to me his whole you know, I think he's taken the you know, what I found was that he put pressure on himself with his, his his kicking and he'd try little passes and he tried to be a little bit clever, but he's taken that back to the bone and he is now looks the part. And let's be fair about it, the investment that we invested in him, it deserves a lot of hard work. Otherwise, we're going to lose a lot of money. And, um, you know, he looks the part. And as I said, to me, there's a lot of coaches that go out and buy the finish. Uh, product and the real good coaches in my opinion are the, the ones that make players better through yes. their coaching through the work and he seems to have done that with Christensen I think I spoke to you last time he looks a completely different player hmm. um, everyone knows what they're doing uh, and Christensen has got every attribute you could wish to have hmm. apart from up until now a John Terry type heart if you could put that into him, he would be a very, very good player. But, you know, expectation of what the manager expects is also a very important thing. I'd like to give a special note to Antonio Rudiger yesterday because for there was times yesterday he looked like a man possessed, you yeah. know, in regards to his performance. He did not want to concede a goal at all. He would have done anything to have stopped Man City and it worked and he's done that a couple of times under two call this season and you know again we 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 discussed about Frank you know last time he was on the on the show and obviously he's he left Rudiger out for a long period at the start of the season but now Rudiger's come back into the fold he looks like a leader and his stature has completely changed that back line there is you know no doubt that I think Rudiger can become even better as well. But last yesterday's performance I just thought was just in, in incredible. I mean, I know Man City's they I thought they were missing Aguero. You know, yeah. I, I mean my thoughts on Jesus, I don't think he's that level compared to Aguero, but I thought they missed him. Sterling seems to be gone off the boil a little bit as well. So but Rudiger's performance was just that class. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, as, as I've said, um, with Frank sort of went the Zuma route, didn't he? He, uh, he played Kurt the majority of the time. And when a new manager comes in, it's a, cl- a clean slate and it's who wants it the most. Um, and it's, it's, you know, people forget that could be the dress rehearsal for the Champions League final. 
And mentally, if that, please God, happened, it would do us the world of good because we now know they're beatable. Had we lost that game yesterday, you know, it would have got into our psyche. But now we've beaten them and we didn't just beat them. We beat them well with a thoroughly, thoroughly deserved victory. And that, to me, if I was one of those Chelsea players sat in that dressing room after the game, to beat Manchester City that way would have felt absolutely beautiful. You being a defender, Steve, I know we, we did discuss it before, but we discussed the difference between playing free at the back and then having a sort of a flat back four or with full backs going forward. But for me, Chelsea looked so comfortable. And I said this when we had Antonio Conte in charge. We looked so comfortable with three at the back. And I feel that while Tuchel is going to be in charge for for forever, how long that could be, three at the back just looks so much better for us anyway, because of the how our fullbacks bomb forward. You know, Ben Chilwell, it suits him so brilliantly. Reese James, it suits so well. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the two fullbacks complement that formation unbelievably. They're they're the big problem you've got in a four, if you've got two fullbacks that, that bomb on, it's that little space in between, just behind the fullback, in between uh, the the byline, uh, not the, the sideline and, and, and the centre back. It's that space. But with a three, you can cover that space. And I, and that enables the fullbacks to bomb on and, and not worry about that. Um, and both of them, uh, you know, yesterday were absolutely superb. And I'm pleased for Ben Chilwell as well, because I think. He's a very important player for England as well. So he's he looked very good yesterday. He really mm. did. Um, yeah, so, no, perfect. Perfect. There was quite a bit, well, a large part of the game where we was controlling possession, but I was very sort of impressed with how we was playing through the thirds. You know, so when we would have the ball starting at the back, we wouldn't just sort of play it long to try for Werner no. and Ziyech to get it. We would play through each middle, so play it to Jorginho. Normally, Jorginho would play it back, but he was playing it forward. And obviously, under Tuchel, we'd look a possession-based team. Do you think, though, that there are there could be moments where we could be over-reliant on possession and not taking enough chances? Or do you think that at this stage of the season where results are important for me, more than performances, we have to be more possession-based? Yeah, well, I, I, you know, that game could have been if uh, the first semi-final of the FA Cup with both teams not playing with the centre-forward. And I think this is the way get the, the game is evolving, where people are rotating up front and find themselves as a centre-forward and they're comfortable in that position. And... Um, Chelsea yesterday, we caught they we did to them what they do to other teams. We won the ball off them. We created things. We kept our call. Looked in behind. Nice early balls, as you say about you know Jorginho. As a midfield player, you can get into a bad habit, and the bad habit is to keep possession. A good habit is to look up, and if anything's on, pass the ball with the ability these players have got as quickly as possible forward. Look forward. And we went through a stage where we were just keeping possession for the sake of keeping possession. But yesterday, we released the ball at the right time. So we all of a sudden, our front players were in. They were in behind. And two of the goals, the, the, the one that was offside and the goal that, you know, that won the match for us, were us on the break. And it was controlled. It wasn't just a big boot out. It was passed out the back with everyone looking forward early. And the ball was played early. And we were in. And... Uh, it, it, it looked good. I'd still like to see us with a Haaland-type player up front because the big problem we have, yes, we've got clean sheets. Yes, we beat Crystal Palace 4-0. But if you take that 4-0 out of the equation, we should have won games by more goals than we eventually ended up with. And that's quite a dangerous thing sometimes because you don't always get what you deserve. You mentioned earlier about the false nine and how sort of City have played with large parts of the season with a false nine. What's your take on this false nine concept? You know, it should be clubs because of the size of the squads and because the amount of money invested. Is it a cop out to have a false nine or is it more of a tactical genius when it does work out? 
Well, I think, you know, Man City have won the league playing that, I would imagine, about 65% of their fixtures with, with, with a false nine. And when you've got ability like the top teams have in this country, it can work. Because, it's, because listen, if I'm playing against Haaland, that's my responsibility. As a centre-back, I'm marking Haaland. But as a centre-back, you look up and you've got no one to mark. That can cause you a problem because you're thinking, well, you know, and and I thought, you know, Werner, we, I think everyone thought we signed him as a nine mm. and he's playing wide and he's, he's, to be fair to him, I'd love to see him go because he works hard. He's unselfish. Um, but now he, he's creating goals as well. So I think this false nine, I think it's, as I said, the game evolves and different ideas happen. The high line was 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 the first thing that you know that the sort of came playing between the lines. These are all new sayings that have come into the game. Um, and Ken Chiletto used to say to me, "Football is a simple game, complicated by idiots." But actually, what's happened? It's evolved for these idiots becoming geniuses and coaches. Yes. Way. Uh, uh, and, and, and to be fair. For for this country to have four teams in the semi-final of both European competitions, and who's to say we're not going to have all four teams in the final of those four competitions? Please God, could um, happen. It could happen. Could happen. And I wouldn't, you know, I, I Real Madrid are a very good side, but they're not as good as Man City. And what we mustn't do is look at Real Madrid with the aura that they were the Real Madrid that was two or three years ago because they're not and we can you know if Liverpool scored I felt sorry for Liverpool the other night I know Chelsea fans will hate me for that but the fact that they were playing against Real Madrid they were 3-1 down they needed everything they could have 70 odd thousand 60 odd thousand people in Anfield the cop scoring an early goal and I'd like to see how uh, Real Madrid would have lasted in that game yeah I remember when the draw came out and it was either Liverpool or Real Madrid, I was quite confident. And a friend of mine um, asked, asked me why. And I said, I don't fear either of them. I think Liverpool are going through a bit of a transitional period. I think Madrid are not the team that they once were. I believe they're still over-relying on the same players they had near 10 years ago. The likes of Benzema, for example, Ramos. And I believe, and this is from how we played yesterday. If we play, for example, Werner, Hakim Zich, that I'd like to mention um, it quite quite soon. If we play them and the tactics are spot on, we can beat Real Madrid. I, I do not fear Real Madrid. I am very confident. And it might sound insane, but I am confident we can beat Madrid over two legs. Yeah, I agree, Keith. I agree. I think that uh, the way we played yesterday, with the belief that's building... And we need to go there and play the same type of way that we played uh, yesterday. You know, let's be fair about it. Years and years ago, when you went to play Real Madrid, it was a completely different brand of football. They they played the possession game. We played the long ball. Uh, and nine times out of ten, we got beaten as clubs. Now we play the same way as they play. Now, we're, our league is better and it's stronger. And um, as I said, I play very similar to the way that we played yesterday in Madrid. And I wouldn't change it too much at home. And I think we can do it. I think we can beat them. One player that he scored the winner, Hakim Ziyech. He's been criticised by Chelsea supporters this season. Um, BBC, when they did the commentary, did mention that he hasn't played for nearly eight months. You know, when he... Dutch league was cancelled around the February, March time because of COVID. He picked up a bad injury pre-season and then I think he came in sort of around about the October time. So he was missed quite a lot of football and he has been criticised. He's been criticised by me on this podcast. I've sort of not been too impressed with him sort of this season. But yesterday looked the old Hakim Ziyech, if, if, if I could use that phrase. He looked like the Hakim that was a star player for Ajax yesterday. You know, he was seeing the the space in between the midfield and the defence and he was just everywhere. 
yesterday and his movement and his technique with controlling the ball and just having a quick look, I thought was exceptional. Yeah, I think I think he he looks a good footballer. And and Havertz looks the same. But what I will say and people have got to take into consideration is this isn't a normal season. Usually it takes time for players to get used to the the pace and the power of of, of the the Premier League. Um and it takes them time. What these boys have come into, all three, and, and Werner's the same, they've come into a congested fixture list where they're playing four, well, three games a week. And all of a sudden, there's game after game after game after game, and they're finding it hard. And really, when you look at Havertz and Ziyech, physically, they're quite slight. They are, you know, uh, and they're, they're young. And it's going to take time. And I think this, what's happened over the last year, has made it probably the hardest period of time to settle into you know, uh, the Premier League. And the best of these players will come next year when it's normal. And hopefully, please God, we're back to normality. You'll see a big, big difference. I still believe they'll come good because of their talent. They, you know, Werner's arguably Germany's best attacking player. Havertz is you know, a bundle of potential. There's no way that these players, I believe, will flop. And as you say, it will take time. This is one of the, the most craziest of seasons. The fact that West Ham are near the Champions League places just tells you everything you need to know that this is a um, bonkers season. Don't be controversial. Yeah, I understand, <laughs> I understand what you're but, saying. But, but again, uh, the, the one thing I will say, with the way the West Ham fans were behaving having a go at everybody, slagging off the team. With a crowd, would they have got to where they are? That is a good point. Would the atmosphere have got to everybody? And it would be a totally different thing. You know, it's it's a weird, weird, you know, look at Sheffield United. God. I know. Yeah, I know. It, you know. Last year, they were absolutely superb and everyone was raving about them. Now they've been uh, relegated with... Second season syndrome, isn't it, really? Yeah. It is, yeah. it is. One thing that stood out for me, even when we scored the goal and Man City, when they put on Foden and Gundogan, even when we when we still had the ball, we still looked quite superb. You know, we, we didn't look afraid. We didn't sort of look like we were going to make a mistake. And yeah, I know, again, football's a crazy game, but it just amazes me that how even with 10 men, we conceded five against West Brom. We've near enough the same team based on how we've performed as a team and as a unit. It just sort of, yeah, again, as you say, this season's complete and utter bonkers. Yeah, well, if you look at the 7-2 Aston Villa, you know, there's been some weird results. But what I will say, and again, you've got to go back, is when we got beaten 5-2 against West Brom, how... The, can, the manager, the coach, coaches the team and speaks to the players and gets them back on track. He's obviously done a very good job because who would have thought that here we are sat there some, on this lovely Sunday afternoon and we're in the semi-final of the Champions League and the final of the FA Cup. Yeah. So he's done a very good job at getting the players' minds back on the job, making sure they're not mortally wounded by that result. Um, and that's also the players as well. You know, the, the 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 leaders of that group will be the ones that will pick people up and say, come on, let, that's never going to happen again. Let's get going. And it's a credit to everyone at the club. Steve, you sort of did touch on the hammering and the response from coach and the players. When you was in the dressing room and, for example, you, your team perhaps got a, 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 you know, a right good beating, what was the sort of the coach's mindset like when you was in the dressing room and you'd come in after the final whistle, you know, was the coach effing and jeffing, shouting, throwing teacups about, or was he just a case of tomorrow's another day training tomorrow? What, what, what sort, what did your experiences sort of tell you from that sort of situation? Well, Eddie McCready was, he built you up straight away. He was the one that would build you up and say, come on, we're better than that. You'll, we'll be fine next week. We'll sort it out. 
you know, he was great. Ron Sert was another one who, who, who was a fantastic man to have around the dressing room. Um, one of my experiences in the dressing room with the manager was when I was at Q, if I can say it's Queen's Park Rangers with Jim Smith. He used to have a vein in his head was that, that when he was annoyed, it was like the M1. And I saw many a teacup, many a thing thrown across the room. He was unbelievable. And we can see, I'll never forget, we conceded a goal in the last minute against, I think it was Coventry. And he came into, into the dressing room and he had blood all over his, running down his head. And I thought, what on earth? And evidently when they scored, he got up in the dugout and he his head on the roof of the dugout. And guys, it was, a, but he was honestly, a half time, if we were getting stuffed at half time, a lot of the players would put their clothes in the shower room so they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't be covered in tea and whatever he threw at the, at the walls. It was, uh, yeah. So we had a few of those, but no, <laughs> I don't think that gets you anywhere. I think you've got to be uh, you've got to be calm. You've got to believe in what you're doing. You've got to get over to the players that 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 believe, because you've got to keep that together. It's no good all of a sudden the manager becoming separated from the players and the players blaming the manager and the manager blaming. Because I've I've been in dressing rooms with that, and it and, and it's a horrible situation. And you've just got to remain strong, and your leaders also have a job to do off the park. But um, I, I thought I thought yes, he was just a prior, you know. And I was even proud of because uh, I think Fernandinho should have got sent off. Yes, yeah. I think I, it, I wasn't going to mention it because when I, I remember watching it, sort of at the time, and I just thought, how are you not even got a second yellow? Because there was a few moments where it was more than two occasions he should have got a booking, and I, I just thought Mike Dean completely didn't see it but I've just thought um, you might mention it the slight touch on Mason Mount's face with the boot I I was quite surprised VAR did look at that myself yeah I know do you know what I'm really surprised about is that I thought that was deliberate and I gotta say I was chuffed with Mason Mount because it had been one of the uh, one of their players they'd have been rolling rolling around like you know you know making it to be worse than what it was but I think he kept him on then. I really did because he acted like a man. And then about two minutes later, he's actually taken the ball past. He's got control of the ball and Fernandinho has gone in with the most dangerous tackle. And the referee said play on. But the fact is, uh, it was a dangerous tackle and I think he should have got sent off. You know, and uh, that might have made our job a little bit easier. But um, Well, I think, that had an, I think that had a good effect on us because... As the game wore on, Mount was getting better. And as the game grew, and it wasn't just Fernandinho, they looked tired. Yeah, yeah. Now, again, good time to probably plan because of Dortmund and other other games as well. But, yeah, that for me, that was very significant, the fact that, you know, I thought City should have been down for 10. But the reaction from Mount, you know, if it was, as you say, somebody else, maybe a player from overseas or perhaps an Englishman that's got a bit of a reputation, then it would have probably led to something else. But Mount's reaction, I thought, was superb. You're definitely right there. And what Mason's got to realise is when you become a good player, uh, you'll get a Fernandinho every week trying to kick you and trying to intimidate you. And he didn't didn't let that in get to him at all. And and just, I thought, outplayed. He just, I thought he was brilliant. He went past him so many times yesterday. Um, Again, that was great to see. That's great to see. Two players that I'd like to talk about with you, Steve, if I can. One of them you mentioned, um, sort of mentioned about you know, Mount being kicked, but obviously midweek, Christian Pulisic played against Porto and he must have bruises from shin to shin. He, you know, the amount of kicking he, he received against Porto was, 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 quite, was quite shocking, really. But I was surprised he didn't start. But then again, rotation and keeping players fresh I thought was obviously key but I was surprised Christian didn't start he was injured Keith I think he, he was injured he, he a, came he, on he came on sort of later on didn't he he came on sort of later in the oh, second well, half well, yeah. Oh, I thought you, yeah 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 he did uh, and he scored a goal didn't he he went past a few he, yeah he's good it was sort of just mar- marginally offside but he's beginning to hit form a little bit isn't he he's been he went off a little bit now he's coming back and he seems to be playing with a lot more confidence 
And his game is running at players and taking players on. Um, and all of a sudden, he's got this this reboot, if you like, and he, he's doing that now, and he looks a player. He got a confidence boost against Palace with his yeah. goals. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, one player who I'm suspecting would probably need a huge confidence boost, but probably he ain't going to get it from Thomas Tuchel, is Tammy Abraham. He was left out of the actual squad yesterday, yeah. which many people were caught off guard with that. Hasn't played many games under Tuchel recently. I think his last start was against Barnsley in the FA Cup uh, earlier on. There's talk about him leaving. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's been with Chelsea since he was a kid, basically. Um, the earlier sort of reports are that Leicester City allegedly looking at him at the moment. Uh, there's other talk about West Ham and Aston Villa. Why do you think, you know, looking at the fact that Chelsea... Oh, sorry, Tuchel more specifically, would rather play Havertz as a striker than Tammy. Is it a case of Tammy might need to leave to further his career or should Tammy stay? And if Chelsea are to sell him, what would be your asking price for him? Well, I've always looked at Tammy and I've, all, I've always thought this, and I might get shouted down, but I think Tammy scores one goal in three chances. Um, and as a top player, you've got to score two goals in three chances. Um, and I've always felt, and sometimes when you're at a big club and you're playing with the players that you're playing with and the, the amount of transfer money that is being spent, you don't quite get the respect that sometimes you deserve because you've come through the... You know, and you have to earn that respect. Mason's earned that respect. He's done it through week in, week out, being consistent. Tammy hasn't. There are times he gets a bit bullied. There are times where yeah, he scored some great goals. But to me, if I was chill, I'd be looking to get that big signing. And what I do for Tammy's future is to let him go at this stage. Uh, so that he can play week in, week out. And uh, because him being out of the squad and in the reserves is doing him no good at all. No good at all. And if you look at clubs like, you know, uh, Aston Villa, um, who else would do? Even Leicester, players, teams like that, I think he would have a, you know, uh, a future with and he could play more and learn his trade more because this you know someone said to me once and it was when a new manager joined and I can't remember what club I was at how do you feel if he doesn't fancy you what are you going to do and it's true if a manager if a manager comes in and doesn't fancy you and he's proved it that he doesn't because he's not even having him in the squad then that's the time to move on and rebuild your career elsewhere because of that when a new manager comes in, there have been stories and you know, whether or not it happens nowadays, I don't know. But there's been times when I've sort of people have told me stories that new managers come in, player perhaps doesn't get on with that particular manager and the player's gone, well, I'm going to be here longer than you're going to be here. And that does that does seem to be the case. You know, some players who are not favoured don't leave the club because of either their wages are too high or transfer fee could be too, too much. And they do end up staying more than the coach. And as you know, listen, as you say, I think Tammy for his own benefit, if he's, if he's not going to get a start, I mean, even Olivier Giroud seems to be frozen out of the team now, you know, Giroud was, you know, influential in the early part of the season. And, you know, when, Tuchel first came in, Giroud was still playing a little bit, but not now. Again, these players, you've got to look at it, especially with Tammy, you know, with his age. He has to, if it's going to be the case where Chelsea might get another striker in and he might see Havertz as maybe a backup option as a false nine, but obviously playing more deeper, he might have to sell Tammy and Tammy might have to look at it and go, maybe I should have to, maybe I should leave. I know what I'd do. I'd put him in the uh, Haaland deal to to (laughs) Lucia Dortmund. That would be interesting. I'd say to him, you look at the young English players that have gone to Germany and made a real reputation. You've got an opportunity here. Hmm. And Bayern Munich, because, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Borussia Dortmund, because they've brought a load of uh, English players and they've been successful. 
they've, they've, they've had a great deal of success um, with English young English players. Tammy might fit the bill. They might take the chance, and you could Change. probably you could probably you know put him in there at, at 12, 12 million quid, fourteen million quid, potentially. Obviously, with Tammy's admission from the squad, and you've got that sort of selection there, Steve. If you was in charge of Chelsea, who would you who would be in your front three? In my front three, what if if from the players we have? From the players we have at the moment, so from so from now until the end of the season, you know we've got we're fighting on to try and get into the Champions League places. We've got the FA Cup final. We've got Real Madrid coming up. Who would be your strongest three out of the players we've got? Well, I'd I'd pay uh, Havertz as a, as a. I think he can play as a ten. I think that's his best position. He's got to be allowed to now. Then that puts you've got Mason, who loves playing in that position. And you can't have too many attacking options here. <laughs> but I would say Pulisic is best. Werner for his endeavour his endeavour and pace and Zilich. Um the way he played yesterday. I'd have I'd I'd have those 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 would be my front front three. And how you play that you play as you know, uh, I'd Werner caused lots of problems wide. I would love him to cause problems up the middle and get a couple of goals because the thing that concerns me, concerns me a little bit and I was so pleased when that final whistle went was if they'd have equalised in the last 10 minutes. Who would have been favourites to have gone on and won that game? And I think it would have been Man City. But when you go over the game, we should have been two up, three up, we should have been, and we didn't take our chances. Um, so that's to me the only little thing is: has any threesome up front got the ability to score the goals that we need, rather than winning games two one, one nil, when we should win the game two or three, and enjoy the last fifteen minutes? Good point. Um, yeah, there's a good point. We're looking at Chelsea this season and many fans are looking at it now. FA Cup final, Leicester or Southampton. I think a few fans who I've sort of spoken to this morning and from what I've read are perhaps being a little bit overconfident because it's Leicester or Southampton. Whereas, you know, if it was against City or Liverpool, it might be a bit different. But we've been to the FA Cup final and lost before, so I'm not going to sort of take it for granted. Whoever we play, it's going to be a tough game. But Steve, this little question, because a friend of mine actually asked me this this morning, and I did ask, I did answer it, and he was quite surprised with my answer. If you had to choose out the two, what would you pick? A top four place, but no trophies, or fifth and the FA Cup? What would be your choice? If I was Chelsea manager, I Chelsea would look manager at- or, 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 or or as a fan. If I was Chelsea manager, I'd go for how much, what would make the most money for Mr. Abramovich. And I think you'll find that's in the top four. Because I think, unfortunately, um, winning the FA Cup isn't like what it used to be. The whole thing has become Champions League, Champions League. You know, if you said to uh, the people that ran Tottenham, do you want to win the Carabao Cup or would you rather stay in the top four? It would always be top four. It would always be top four because that that sets you apart and you become the elite part of, if you like, uh, European football. Mentioned about the FA Cup and how it's changed. You know, Again, even when the final whistle came yesterday, you saw certain players on the floor and it reminded me of you know semi-finals and finals gone by, especially when I was growing up watching football in the 90s. You'd see it at your semi-finals at Wembley. Steve, what was your memories of you know the FA Cup, either as a supporter or as a player? Have you got any sort of great memories of the Cup yeah, that you could I, share? I went to Wembley. In 1970, it was my first ever cup final that I'd went to. Oh, you uh, went to the game between Chelsea and Leeds. I did, yes. And, oh, fantastic! Um, it, it was. I was going there to to observe a pristine Wembley Stadium, and the the pitch was like a, a ploughed 
farmer's field where the horse of the year show had completely mucked it up. Um, and it was just, the first thing was the, the, the uh, unbelievable smell of the hot dogs and the burgers walking up Wembley Way and the amount of people that were there and the atmosphere that was there. It was absolutely incredible. And, um, uh, and it, it's funny because there was a, 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 I read something about the two Chelsea Leeds games in the cup final were perceived to be the two dirtiest games ever recorded. And a referee from today's watched the match and said, would you book him for that? Would you? And it worked out there before players left on the pitch after the game. And that was two goalkeepers. <laughs> <laughs> it was the most physical game. And, um, you know, it was incredible. And uh, Hutch, God rest his soul, and a great mate, um, scored the equaliser uh, and it was fantastic it was a fantastic day and when we won the uh, I went up as a guest of Chelsea to the, the replay and uh, it was fantastic it was just the most incredible incredible day but I used to as a kid I used to love it when you know it was like I was like in a candy shop when you turn on the TV at nine o'clock in the morning and the build-up had started they were showing the old games and the uh, it was just incredible. The whole day was a, one of the greatest days of the year. Um, and we've lost that a little bit. The fact that we have it at five o'clock in the afternoon, I think is, it's not, it's not tradition. It's I believe tradition. this year's final is going to be at other end five, half five UK time as well, which as you say, it does sort of put a dampener on it because again, certain people of certain generations have always seen the FA Cup final at three o'clock and you get, yeah. The, you know the pomp and ceremony beforehand. I mean, I, I was a bit sort of too young to see it, but I've seen clips of the uh, cup final preview on Saints and Greasy. You know yeah. when they would sort of be yeah. in the same hotel as some of the you know some of the teams, and they're interviewing them while they're having breakfast. Absolutely, that, that's <laughs> where it all starts. And, and and there'd be things where they had issues with the wives uh, <laughs> yes. about what it meant to them. You know, it was like. And it was this build-up all the way through, and it was an incredible day. And we've lost something there. But but listen, as I said to you before, football has evolved. It's evolved to to it's become all about money, isn't it? That's why the they will look at the best time that they can get advertising in breaks when they can maximise the you know the the money. It's all about money. All those uh you know sort of I don't know things that we had way back with just tradition and money didn't play that bigger part in it but now it's all all become about money and it's become be fair, it's become very corporate yes and but they need it to be to pay the players you know you you know that some of the the wages and salaries of players these days god it, it you've got to have a lot of money to pay instead of stay so they've got to maximize it yeah, I think we we'll, we should see tonight. Obviously, as, as we're recording, it's on a Sunday, so we've got Leicester Southampton to come. Steve, just quickly before we sort of discuss from a different sort of concept of a cup semi final, who would you take in the final, Leicester or Southampton? Well, I Ralph, I'll try and pronounce his. No, I won't try and pronounce his surname. But I think anyone that has gone through what he's gone to to lose a couple of games 9-0 and get over it and still be there and still uh, I've got and they've had a very good cut run they've had a hard cut run and they've come through it and Southampton I don't know I would like to see an all southern thing and it might all be nice for the, final. yeah for the for the, for the um, Southampton fans who had to endure quite a lot of pain over the last it might be nice for them to have a good day out um and I said, that man has never shirked an interview. These teams have got beaten 9-0 twice. It must have been a nightmare for him. But he's never shirked anything. And he's been, I think, a good manager for them. But Brendan, yeah. also, Brendan's done a fantastic job. And he plays football the right way. Um, you know, he does play football the right way. And he's, he's another he's, funny, a very well-respected person who I know within football, said to me that it wouldn't surprise him if Gareth gets the football club, 
that England wouldn't appoint Brendan Rodgers as the England manager. And I thought about it, I said, well, and when you look at it, he spent all his life in England. He's, he coaches the right way. Players like him an awful lot. Um, so, who's to say? It could and happen. Quite high up, actually. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. But, no, I, but I'll tell you what it does. I, I think it makes, and the only thing I'll say, you know, I played in the cup final and, and we beaten Liverpool in the semi-final of the, of the cup. Um, and on home and away, and we climbed Everest. We we to win that, and they were European champions. And to, we drew two two at Anfield, going down twice. So we were one nil down, two one down, and we got back. We kept coming back, and we went through three two on aggregate. Now, what gets in your psyche is you almost think you deserve to win the cup because you've beaten a little bit like the England rugby team when they beat New Zealand in the semi final. And you think, well, England have won the world, they win the World Cup. Anything in a final of anything you do never comes easy. And we've got to be switched on from the, the first whistle and go about our business exactly with exactly the same respects as what we did yesterday. Definitely. Definitely. Chelsea in the FA Cup final, once again, 15th of May, round five, half five kickoff. Whoever we face, it's going to be a tough game, but. We do fancy our chances, and it's a good chance for Thomas Tuchel to get a trophy and cement his position as Chelsea manager. And it'll be a great for certain players as well. You know, Mason Mount getting a senior, tro- you know, a senior trophy as well. You know, that will definitely help. Steve, while we have you on the Blue Day podcast for this week, obviously, you know, um, as it's FA Cup semi final weekend, not many people may know this, but you was obviously a, a coach abroad as well and you had some moments in cup games especially winning uh, trophies as well so I just want to sort of if I can get a few minutes of your time to discuss like the mindset so we've discussed obviously the mindset as a player when it comes to the cup but what is it like as a coach so just to sort of start off when it's when you've been in that situation of a cup semi-final What's going through your head on the day of the game? You know, are you sort of perhaps thinking of certain tactics on the day, or is or is a lot of it all done day or two days prior, and it's just waiting for the game to start? Well, again, you know, the one one of the hard things that that is different today with what's going on in the world is you, you don't really get the time now, do you? You had a Champions League game this week. You, you, before you know where you are, you, you're you're You've given the players probably a, a day off, um, and you've probably had one day's training with them. And you know, so he's done ever so well. I think what it's all about is is meticulous planning. You get in your mind your tactics that you think can win the game. You get it over to the players what you want, and the final ingredient is you hope they believe in it. Uh, and you might believe in it, but players might not. You know, um, I, you know, when Terry Venables was was my manager, we played uh, West Brom in the semi final of the FA Cup, and he felt that um, the strength of West Brom was Weil and Robertson, and he went through a week of training playing Clive Allen really deep. He pushed. Simon Stainrod out to the left and Mike Flanagan out to the right. And he felt that because they were basic centre-backs that had loved to head the ball and kick the ball, that that would be the way because we'd have extra men all over the park. Uh, and the players did buy into it until probably Wednesday, Thursday. And then they thought, well, we got to do it. So they started to really sort of buy into it. And we won 1-0. And all I can remember is the first five, six minutes of the game, you had Wilde and Robertson saying, who do I pick up? You know, what am, I, what am I... And it worked like a dream. Now, as a manager, when you do something like that and your tactics have worked and you, you're in the final of the FA Cup or you've won the final of the FA Cup, it's as good a feeling as playing in a final because you know it's your tactics, your nouse, has created the opportunity. It's, it's a it's a great feeling, you know. It, it really is a great feeling, and um, 
you know, I, I, yeah, the manager would have gone back uh, or the coach would have gone back last night with a big smile on his face thinking, well, I've done a good job there. When it sort of came to the semi-final, and again, obviously, at this stage, teams like Chelsea are playing every you know three to four days. But when it came to a semi-final, when would a coach perhaps have the lineup drawn out in his head? Would it be, you know, might sound crazy, but would it be on the day of the game? Would it be a day before, or would it actually be maybe before the? previous game you know that he would maybe rest players in the league game beforehand before the semi-final sort of from your experiences what what would you've seen as a coach or as a player certain managers do when it came to a build-up to an important game like this basically you know your best team you know you you know your best team um it's a little bit like like Tottenham you know it's their best team with Kane or without Kane, well, it's obviously with Kane. But the truth of the matter is, he might not be there on the in the final on Sunday with his ankle injury. Hope he is, bless him. But but buying from injuries, you have a very very good idea what you're. And you got to bear in mind when you're in the semi final, you're not going to have any problems with players training hard and working hard because they all want to play. But deep down, you'll always you'll always know your best best eleven. Always and. It's, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, I, in the little bit of success I had in Malaysia and Singapore, is you know your best 11 and you trust them and you have faith in them. And uh, that's the only way I get. And he's beginning now to get his best 11. He will know. He will know. He'll be going through it now and he'll be thinking, you know, he'll be thinking about the, the, the games and he'll be, he will know. And barring injuries and barring, you know, something happening, he'd pick that team in a formation because the great thing is Chelsea aren't as rigid in in positions. They are, they've got players that can play anywhere. They're natural gifted footballers. So therefore they can play anywhere. So, but he knows the, the, the players he wants. And I'm guessing sort of when you look at how Thomas Tuchel could approach it, he will obviously speak after the semi-final victory and, you know, you know you're going to the final. He'd obviously maybe speak to players that he will he knows in his head would start and go, right, you're going to be in the final no matter what. Similar to you know, the story that I heard when it came to Euro 96, Alan Shearer didn't score an international goal for nearly two years. And when it came to the tournament, Terry Venables, who you know quite well, just yeah. said to Alan, no, you are my number nine. You are going to be my centre forward and that helped does that does that sort of still come into play with managers and players yeah yeah it, it does Keith you know you, you players need you to have faith in them they need you to, you to have faith in them and that feeling that your manager rates you is, is a fantastic um, is a fantastic feeling and uh, the players will know the players will know I would never name a team before Thursday, but the week, the week, even for a cup final, I'd, I'd always, but the week you have to let them know what the team is without announcing it, doing team play and set plays and getting yourself ready. So a football team will have a good idea what the starting 11 is, without doubt. And again, as you say, barring any injuries or even any suspensions as well, what, yeah. When when you was in Malaysia and Singapore, wasn't it, Steve? Sorry. When you was in them sort of countries and you, you was able to be quite successful there, what sort of was going through your mind when obviously the referee blew the whistle and it was a case of, yes, we are now in the final and you yeah. know, fans obviously you know, going crazy, the players sort of being jubilant. When you was in that particular situation, what was going through your mind no, I, th- I think that the, the thing is, you're ple- number one, you're, you're, you're pleased for the players. You know, they they put a shift in, they've worked hard. You're pleased for them. Um, but I also knew in where I was at Salangor in Malaysia, was they expected to win those those cups. They expected, you know, and there was, you know, the the, the finals played in front of 108,000 people, um, and it was it was it was pressure. But when you win. And I went up to my room because over there, you, 
you can't drink a glass of lager and you, you know you have to have orange juice and birthday cake um so i had a couple of beers in the fridge and i sat in the in my room drinking a nice lager and it was one of the best feelings i've ever had in my life it was a fantastic sense of achievement it's, it's lovely and i hope that thomas is in a, some hotel room somewhere feeling like that after the European Cup final, the Champions League. That'd be great. <laughs> Let's hope. It could very well happen. Um, Steve, just want to say thank you very much for your insight, you know, when, you comes to the, when it comes to Cup football, you know, especially with the triumph of the semi-finals as a coach and a player. You know, and thank you, obviously, for your time today. I do appreciate it. So, in regards to the Blue Day podcast coming up, hopefully we will get Mr. Steve Wicks back on the show, uh, you know, soon, you know, we can obviously uh, talk about more of our beloved Chelsea, but what we have coming up as well, um, the next player interview we have, we have one Clive Wilson, that's going to be on the show very soon. Steve, you played with Clive a couple of times, didn't you, in your later stages at Chelsea. Have you got any sort of stories you can quickly uh, share with us about the Clive Wilson? Very, very good player. Very good player, Clive, um, and a great lad, a super lad, always laughing, joking, soul of the party. He's a good lad, and uh, yeah, it was, a, it was, as I said, it was, a, it was a hard time in those times. He was new to the club, and things were, were. He'd probably tell you that, or he'd probably keep quiet. I'm not sure what he'd do, but uh, you know, he was a good lad and an extremely good footballer. Great left foot. Great well, left hopefully. Foot. Yeah, I was going to say, just hopefully he will tell his side of the story of, as well from that particular season that you mentioned when we had the interview with you and obviously when we spoke to Kevin Wilson as well. But Clive Wilson's going to be on the show coming up this week. We will hopefully be back with another sort of review of Chelsea very, very soon. And also we will be announcing quite shortly of a special uh, show that we are planning to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Chelsea winning the Cup Winners' Cup final in 1971 against Real Madrid. Do you you remember that occasion of 1971? Well, that was the year I signed for Chelsea. And uh, they were your... And it was great. It was a fantastic time to join Chelsea because they'd won the FA Cup in 70 and the the Cup Winners' Cup in 72. And they had a great side and they'd signed Keith Weller and... And people were looking, saying, cool, this is going to be some side now. And I think we signed Chris Garland as well. Um, and it was, it was, everyone thought, this is it. Chelsea are going to take off. And then we had a habit in those days of shooting ourselves in the foot sometimes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think uh, obviously certain people had other ideas in regards to what they saw Chelsea could be, you know, yeah. years after being successful. But that's all going to co- be coming up on the Blue Day podcast. If you want to find us on YouTube, feel free. We've got some old player interviews that we have with other ex-Chelsea players to find. Instagram as well. We'll sort of give you plenty of news and notes on there. And also find us on Facebook where we've also got some you know, fantastic pictures as well from Chelsea from days gone by. But I have been Keith Lawrence. Thank you again for Steve Wicks for his fantastic input as always. Stay safe and carefree. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. $88 billion is just a number, but not when we use it for our community benefits plan. It can be used to help deliver the promise of an education. We'll empower young entrepreneurs through the creation of the Howard University and PNC National Center for Entrepreneurship. And uplift small businesses with access to the capital they need in order to grow. It's not just about dollars, it's about change. PNC, 